0: And welcome to Tour Guide Tell All, where your friendly neighborhood tour guide's here to share with you the scandalous and a little bit uh, more fun side of American history. We have a really great topic today. I'm really excited to share it with you. It is spring. We're turning our attention and the pod away from some individuals this month and trying to focus on some events, some large scale events that have really shaped our nation. So uh, it's an exciting time at the podcast. As always, I am back.
1: And I'm Rebecca.
0: And together we're
1: the Rebecca's.
0: Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Just chef's kiss.
1: Is perfect. Amazing. We're getting better and
0: better. <laughs> so um, before we jump in, as always, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons. Our patrons really make this podcast happen. They've kept us going. They've literally kept the lights on during this pandemic. As we continue to emerge, tourism is still taking a big hit. And so we are so appreciative of you who continue to support the podcast. If you're not a patron already, we're still doing our patron promotion. We're trying so hard to get to a level of patrons that will help sustain this podcast indefinitely. And we're really, really close. So if you are interested, you can become a podcast patron for as little as $3 a month. And if we reach our goal, which we're really close to, uh, we're going to do a special series, a bonus series, all about first ladies and all our patrons are going to get to vote and help us decide what that series is going to look like. So you're obviously going to want that opportunity. You're going to want to get in on that series. So if you're not already, check out our Patreon page. As always, though, we love all of our listeners and we're really glad you're here today. I'm really excited about this topic because it's a little outside of my purview. My, I feel like so much of what I talk about is East Coast history. So much of what I talk about is D.C. or D.C. adjacent. Um, this certainly has impact on D.C. And, and vice versa. But we're going out west, which I feel like is a little bit more Rebecca's bailiwick, uh, having lived out there. I've never lived further west than Houston.
1: Yes. Um, I lived in San Francisco for three years and I give tours out there so I have all this stored up western knowledge this vision of doing like there's a whole bunch of western topics I want to do like the Donner Party and Custer's Last Stand and Various other things, but this is the gold rush. So this is like what makes the West, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm really, Um, really excited to talk about this. The gold rush, I feel like constantly comes up in our pop culture, right? We're still in the 21st century creating TV shows and movies and, and books that are set in this time. And we just have such a fascination with the West and how the West Uh, is shaped and how it becomes. Um, And there are huge, huge impacts on our government and on our society and on our culture from the gold rush. So uh, I'm really excited when you sort of um, presented this topic, even though I was like, I don't know, I'm nervous (laughs) about talking about
1: the West Coast. So the gold rush, like we lump in, there's a lot of actually like gold and silver strikes in the West. The most famous is the one we're going to talk about, which is the discovery of gold in 1848 in California. But there's also the discovery of gold in the Black Hills in South Dakota. Like if you watch the TV show Deadwood, that's kind of has more to do with that area of the world. If you read the Jack London novels, like Call of the Wild is about the Yukon gold rush and there's a silver strike in Nevada and all that. So there's a lot of different ways. And every time this happens, there's a variation on the same theme that gets played out at first in California. So California really like the California gold rush really sets the tone for a lot of what happens in the West and a lot of the future sort of gold and silver strikes. And you get the idea of like the boom town and all that stuff. And it's just such a great like entry point to talking about a lot of things. There's so much possibility in the West. I read a writer once who said that the U.S. is always laced in our national psyche, like our, our ideas of the future have always included the West. So it's such a like important motif almost. But the gold rush in California is, you know, sometimes there are events in history that are overblown. And sometimes there are events in history that are underblown. This one's perfect. Like the gold rush, we make as big a deal out of it, I feel like as we should, because it is a big deal. It's not one of those things that's like, oh, it's bigger in pop culture than it really was. No, (laughs) California gold rush is really foundational to understanding so much about like not only California, but specifically San Francisco and just the whole like migration westward. Like it's, a, there's a lot happening.
0: Yeah. I don't know if people, when they, when we talk about the gold gr- rush, understand that we're talking about the largest migration of people within the United States ever that we've ever seen before or since, uh, how vastly it changes where people live and where people are going. The reshuffling Of population is huge because of the gold rush. And I want to mention how you were kind of talking about how the American West is so a part of an American motif. I mean, as early as George Washington, when he's planning. Washington, D.C. and he and Lon Fawn are looking at that Southwest waterfront area where the Anacostia and Potomac River converge, and they're talking about it as a gateway to the West. So like as early as 1791, they're going, we're obviously not just going to stay here, we're going out, we're going that way. So that's so, so ingrained in this idea of what this new country is going to be, even though we don't technically have that land yet, right? That isn't That isn't part of the United States. That is, that's the gold. The goal and the gold is to go out West. Yes.
1: The idea of the West, what is like physically the West has changed. Like when George Washington thought of the West, the West was the Appalachian Mountains. Like that was as far far as his vision was. But then like Jefferson purchases whole swaths of territory and suddenly the idea of the West changes. Yeah.
0: And then once we've explored that, the, the, the barrier just keeps or the border just keeps going and going and going. But it's less, too, even about what is the physical definition of the West as the idea of the West, the frontier. Yes.
1: So I thought a good place to start would be to talk about California pre-Gold Rush, just to kind of lay the foundation, just so that you can kind of see the contrast. Like, California started as a Mexican colony. Like, it's part of the Spanish Empire. And the Spanish Empire is very different, and they kind of rule their empire very differently than the British do. Like, they're much more hands-off. Just send us money every now and then and be godly, and you're good. And so particularly like San Francisco is far from Mexico City, which is the ruling center in this continent. And obviously Mexico City is pretty far from Madrid. So it's just the Spanish don't want to commit troops to the level of control that they'd need to really rule it. And so California is this big territory, which clearly has a lot of natural resources. Even they can tell that. But they're just, they don't have the will to really control it. So the U.S. is going to basically be interested in California, but not super interested. California becomes a separate republic very briefly, and there's a Mexican war. And the idea is that the U.S. is going to, that we were in de facto control of California before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, but that's going to firm up the U.S. control. And California is like, hey, we want to be a state. And the U.S. is like, oh, I don't know let's not move too fast. Maybe not. And so California has like 15,000 Europeans and Californios spread over the entire territory of what's now California, which is not a lot of people.
0: It's a lot of land with not that many people on it.
1: Right. And there are people there. Like There are plenty of Native Americans there, but there's not a lot of white people, which is really, unfortunately, what really counts to the U.S. government Washington.
0: And when it comes to the idea of like is this worthy of being a state the idea is not yet not yet
1: we're not there yet you know it's far railroad just doesn't get there
0: it's far we don't really know what's out there
1: resource wise yet no telegraph hasn't been invented yet it's just far we don't have the transcontinental railroad come on and there's like several mountain ranges in between Uh, the east coast and the west coast so it's just it seems the us is like yeah we don't really want to do all that work yet so sorry and there are plenty, though, of like explorers and adventurers who want to take their chance with California and just kind of see what's there. And three of them are going to converge at the very beginning of this gold rush. One is named John Sutter. And if you're familiar with the gold rush at all, you've probably heard of Sutter's Mill. This is where the gold is discovered. Sutter was a Swiss immigrant to the U.S. He bought a bunch of land and kind of was a shady character. In fact, all three of the guys who we're going to talk about at the very beginning of this were shady characters. Um, The gold rush is just peppered with shady. Shady characters
0: and men who are no better than confidence artists, frankly, and plenty of con artists along the way. But yes, this is even many of the legit figures are like
1: shady. Oh, yeah. Super shady. Nobody's hands are clean in this. Like this is literally the Wild West in the most literal and figurative sense of the word. Like no one is clean here. So Sutter employs a guy named James W. Marshall. And the mill is located kind of near where Sacramento will eventually be. So the capital. Uh, and it is, by the way, not a coincidence that gold is discovered very close to what ends up being the capital of the state. But anyway, any they're working on a mill, doing mill things. And James Marshall is looking through the water at the mill. Again, it has to do with water. I don't know. Uh, and he sees something shiny in the water that really shouldn't like there shouldn't be really shiny things in the water i would imagine and so he bends down to kind of pick it up and you can imagine like the weirdest thing in the world that he's just found in this water by this mill in the middle of nowhere and it's wow this looks like gold and i can imagine like you think oh yeah it looks like gold but obviously it can't actually be gold but as it turns out (laughs) It is. And he's going to do tests. He and John Sutter, who own the property, are going to do tests on it. And gold is pretty easy to identify. They haul down an encyclopedia and they're like, all right, well, how do we figure this out? And it turns out it very much is gold. And Sutter is not thrilled by this. He, Yeah, I love that aspect of this, that he's not that excited
0: because that's not his plan. California. That is not what he
1: wants. And also like when you first think Sutter's not thrilled about this news getting out, you think, oh, obviously he wants the goal for himself, but that's actually not it. The reason that Sutter's not thrilled is he doesn't want people coming to his land, taking his land claims and basically trashing his land, which is exactly, spoiler alert, what's going to happen to him. So he sort of sees that this is going to happen and he like tries to get Marshall to, you know, zip his lip, but When you discover gold, that's not a secret that's going to keep for very long at all. And so the third person about this little, in this little unsavory trio, is a guy named Sam Brannon. And Sam Brannon is a Mormon, which for 1848, this is January of 1848, Mormons are relatively new. So he's kind of taken a trip out to the West Coast. He wants to make his fortune and he has opened up a store um, right near where the Sutter's Mill is, very close to what's now Sacramento. And Sam Brannon sees. He does not want this secret to keep. And so he's going to take some of the gold flecks, put them in a jar and literally like ride Hell for Leather down to San Francisco. And the timeline is kind of important. Gold is discovered at the end of January, 1848. California officially becomes part of like a United States territory February 3rd. And about a month later, Sam Brannon is going to ride down to San Francisco. Now, with, his his, with
0: his little jar of gold.
1: his little jar Now you think of San Francisco today, you think of the bridge, you think of the expensive real estate. That is not what San Francisco looks like in March of 1848. San Francisco is 1,500 people, mostly men. And it's this teeny little village. And they have basically one city square and Sam Brannon rides to the center of the square. It's called Portsmouth square. It's still there. And the legend is that he comes at sunset, which I think is a little too poetic to be real, but he holds up this jar of gold and you can see in the setting sun, the lakes glinting. And he yells that there's gold in the American river up by Sacramento, gold in the foothills. And in my mind, like I picture this scene, like a cartoon, Everybody around him like blinks twice and then like dashes off like the roadrunner to go to the Colts. And obviously like it didn't happen that fast, but that's not like a super exaggeration either. People immediately literally drop what they're doing and head up to the Sacramento, what's now the Sacramento area. Now today, for those who aren't familiar with California, it's a two hour drive from San Francisco to Sacramento. Obviously they didn't drive back then. So this is quite the journey to get up there.
0: Yeah, you're going on horseback or you're loading up your your cart and wagon or you're hiking out on foot, which plenty of people did as well. And yeah, there's not a, there's some trade route, but there's not a lot of easily navigable pathways. Roadways.
1: Right. And the gold is in the foothills of the mountains, the Sierra Nevada mountains. And so that's another like difficulty getting up. You know, you're at the foothills of the mountains, there's no train tracks, so you've got to sort of negotiate your way up there. And the legend is that Sam Brandon literally ran around the streets of San Francisco yelling about gold, which I love. And, the- and I love
0: that he kind of does it because he's like, "Well, I got, I, I've set up a store, and like, if people come looking for gold, they're gonna buy stuff from my store." <laughs> He doesn't seem to care like if there is enough gold or a lot of gold or like what's going to happen after this. He's like, I'm just going to this is publicity for my shop.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's super smart. Like Sam Brandon's is one of the like real geniuses, I think, of the early part of this before he goes down. The reason there's such a time gap is Sam Brandon's is going to order in supplies like food and like mining supplies
0: and yeah, mining stuff.
1: (laughs) Because he knows that people are going to dash up there and they're going to need supplies. They're going to need food. They're going to need clothes, all kinds of stuff. And Sam Brannon makes a killing on the gold rushers. He makes a lot of money doing this and then loses it in later life, but that's not the point. Um, (laughs) No, no matter how good the news is in 1848, it ain't traveling super fast. They didn't have like Twitter back then. So news takes a while to spread back East. The first account we have of it on the East Coast is it's published in an article in New York in August of 1848. So we're talking a good five months after Sam Brannan has announced this in San Francisco. So it's slow to spread, but it spreads pretty fast once it does get to the East Coast. President Polk himself mentions it in his address to Congress in December of 1848. And what's known as the gold fever spreads across the eastern United States. And people want to go out to get the gold as quickly as literally their legs will carry them. So here's the thing, though. Again, going to San Francisco is not an easy journey in the 1840s. You have basically two and a half ways to get there. The first way is overland. land. And Becca, you and I are the same age cohort. You probably played Oregon Trail.
0: Yeah, you got to watch out for the dysentery. Yes. <laughs> you got to watch out for snakes. Yep. <laughs> You've got to make sure you have enough food mm-hmm. to feed yourself because there's only a couple stops along mm-hmm. the way, a few places where you can kind of reprovision. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to hunt and feed yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to make sure you don't get sick and die and that you have clean drinking. And water. also
1: you're traveling over hostile territory. Like there's a lot of native tribes in the, between here and there that are not particularly friendly for a lot of obvious reasons. And you also have to time it right. Like one of the things that you learned playing the Oregon Trail, and this was real in real life, you can't leave too early from the East coast because there won't be anything growing for your like animals to eat for you to, or you to eat. eat. Yeah. But you can't leave too late either, because if you get delayed or you leave too late, you are going to catch some snow in the mountains right before you get to California. So you're at the end of your journey. You've exhausted your food supply, and you're stuck in the snow. And it starts to snow up in the mountain in October. And there had just been, literally two and a half years before, the greatest example of what not to do, which is called the Donner Party. Things and real badly for them. And we're going to talk about them because they're really interesting, too, um, in a later pod. So you have to time it right. It is a very dangerous way to get across over land. Your other option is to go by sea, to basically take a boat and go all the way down the East Coast, down Central America, down South America, all the way around the Cape Horn and back up South America, up Mexico, up the coast of California to San Francisco, which is a journey that takes months, again, about five months. You can make this slightly shorter by stopping in Panama, hacking your way across a jungle for about a week and a half, and then hoping there's another ship coming by on the West coast to bring you to San Francisco. That saves you some time, but then you're contending with tropical diseases and jungle stuff and there's no path either. So you have to hike your way through Panama and it's just, and then hope that there's a boat for you in a timely manner on the other side. Like it's,
0: if I were smart, I would have started building the canal right at the gold rush would have. in yes. Panama.
1: <laughs> and this is also very dangerous. You can get seasick or you can get boat diseases and scurvy or whatever it is when you're on a boat for months. It takes a long time. You may not have enough food. It's all bad. There is no quick or easy way to get to California.
0: And none of this travel no. is free. None of this endeavor is free. Nobody's running charity, you know, caravans or boats. So if you are going to make this attempt, you are likely sinking a considerable amount of money just to get there with no promise that you're going to find gold yourself. But a lot, a lot, a lot of people are going to take that gamble. They're going to sink life savings into doing this because when you're talking about a six month journey just to get there. And you're talking what was then hundreds and hundreds of dollars, which they would be thousands and thousands of dollars in supplies and in all the things you need, these were big investments. And I, I think it's important to, to note that, that very few people could just afford to easily make this journey and hope they would get rich. You
1: gotta imagine how powerful the lure of gold is to get people to sacrifice. Like people literally walk out on their families. They Some of them bring their families, but the majority of men don't. Some are re, there are some people that want to resettle out in California and make that their permanent home. But many of the people who come to California are going to be just single dudes or like married men who've left their families behind. So you don't have gender balance. There's a lot of men and not as many women. And they're also not just coming from the United States either. They're coming from South America. They're coming from Australia. They're coming from China. People come from Europe to get there, which is even longer. So it is- Yeah, I think we sometimes
0: forget that it is an international gold rush. People will come from all around the world to California. It's a huge mass migration within the United States, but it's also a massive immigration wave coming for the gold rush as well.
1: There are a few people that are called the 48ers. They get up there in 1848, and they're the ones who actually make a lot of money because they get there first. But most- (laughs) Early bird gets the Harper gold. It really does get the gold. Yes. But most people come in 1849 and they call themselves the 49ers. Which is how we get the football team's name. Absolutely. In fact, the football teams, the cheerleaders are nicknamed the gold rush. That's what they're called. Aww. Which is just... Anyway, Uh, yes, so they are going to track themselves. And this is just to get you to San Francisco. You then still have to get up to the gold fields in the foothills. There are so many people that come to San Francisco and just stay for like a night or two and then head out. But San Francisco is transformed overnight. It goes from having 1,500 residents to having 25,000 residents in like a year, which is. An astonishing growth rate. They just don't have the infrastructure to upkeep this. And so, all of the things that you think about, like a boom town, that's what San Francisco looks like.
0: This is my fun fact for this episode, which is San Francisco totally booms. We talk now about San Francisco and like the dearth of housing and all, all of the things, even today, because of the tech explosion. That was all super true back then. Like, there was not a lot of infrastructure. So, the people who were wealthiest could afford what was there and um, it was really hard to find housing and food. But my biggest fun fact is that there was also a lack of food to feed these 25,000 people who show up. So the farmers can't keep up. A lot of these are men, so it's protein heavy. and the like most valued thing besides gold were chicken eggs. They could not find eggs, enough eggs for people. So it got to a point as you get to like the 49ers where a single egg cost you a dollar, which today would be like 30 to 40 bucks for one egg. So to give you an idea of what the boomtown pricing was like in San Francisco, that's what you were paying for an egg. Imagine what it costs to try to get meat, to try to get milk, to try to get any of the sort of day-to-day things you might need to buy supplies, to buy pickaxes and mining material. So you've spent all this money to go across the country or to go on a ship, and then you get to San Francisco, and the inflation is extreme. So now you've got to shell out. 30 bucks for an egg and, you know, a hundred dollars for a pizza. So then you're spending everything else you have just in San Francisco, which is also why, I mean, people do stay there, but a lot of people have to keep moving on because they have to hope they're going to find something. Um, Because unless you came with money and plenty of people come with money, you can't afford it. It's unaffordable.
1: Yes. And if you have a lot of money, you're a target for thieves, too. Like, there's no laws. California's not part of the U.S. yet. Like, there's no law. So people are doing whatever they want. And it's, I feel like this is one of the, San Francisco's one of those places, like, if you could drop in time, like, it is as crazy as you've heard that it was. Um, Uh, And not too
0: surprising, it's a huge, huge magnet for con artists. And for scammers and for every sort of miscreant and shady person you can imagine. Oh my
1: gosh. Yes. It's also a magnet for vice, not just like the shady stuff, but like... Gambling, prostitution. There's all kinds of stuff that your mother wouldn't want you to take part in in San Francisco. Like it gets comes by its reputation, honestly. And a lot of people like there will be boats that will be shipping goods from wherever they'll get to San Francisco. And these sailors are not paid very well. They're on boats for months at a time. They are literally going to walk off the boats when they get to San Francisco as soon as they get to dry land and head up to the gold fields. And so there are ships tens of hundreds of them that are just going to be crowded in San Francisco around the the bay with no one to sail them. And so they have to sink them because there just isn't, you know, first they use them bars and houses of ill repute and things. And then there just becomes so many of them that they have to sink some of these ships. And so near the, around the wharf area today, there are underneath the modern city, there's the bones of hundreds of gold rush era ships that they've just literally built on top of. And there's also not a lot of Women, the particularly the first year, there is a man who writes about how he uh, went almost a full year without seeing a female. They just weren't there. Um, they're going to come later. They kind of rush in a little bit later, particularly for like prostitution purposes. But this one woman writes about how men would follow her around because they hadn't seen a woman in months, uh, which seems really creepy and kind of dangerous for her. It is exactly as lawless as uh, advertised. So it's it's really this great jumping off point for the gold fields And San Francisco is there you know one of the of the 40,000 people who arrive in San Francisco by ship in 1849 only 700 of them are women. So that's like an extreme ratio. And it has been linked ever since to the California dream. Like this is the dream of California is to go out and sort of seek your fortune. There are an influx of immigrants from places like China. And very quickly, the sort of white population is going to be very upset that the Chinese seem to be making more money than they are. And so they're going to pass a lot of exclusion acts, excluding both the Chinese from getting the good plots of gold. They're going to force Native Americans to work for them for little to no pay. It's a hugely exploitative system looking for gold. And the truth about it is nobody really makes that much money looking for gold. That's the ironic part of all of this.
0: Uh, You spend so much that even if you find some or find a little bit, you're usually not even offsetting your expenses because it is a costly endeavor. There's also, I think it's important to note, a huge impact on the native population, particularly because of food. You've got all of a sudden... Thousands, tens of thousands of people who now need to hunt and fish this same area. And they're literally just overhunting, overfishing, and driving native populations out, not even simply fighting over gold or fighting over land, but just fighting over food and food.
1: Storage. Yes, it is really devastating to the native population of the area. They just wipe out thousands of natives, um, it, either forcing them to work or just kind of pushing them off the land. John Sutter's original mill gets basically destroyed, which is what he had feared would happen. And the town of Sacramento, which becomes the capital of the state, grows up basically right next door. It is surprisingly few gold rushers make money. Many people break even. And that's sort of the majority view is that people make enough gold, particularly early on, to break even a few people in the early days make enough money to make their fortunes, but not too many. The people who make a fortune in the gold rush are the people who supply the gold rushers. People Merchants. Like, yep. People like <laughs> Sam Brannon. Yep. People who are in food production, people like prostitutes and their madams, gambling establishments, people who take things and supply things to the gold rushers. They're going to really make money.
0: Yeah. Anyone who was smart enough to say, I'm not going to look for gold. I'm simply going to try to provide a service or good to these gold rushers. Those are the people who make it rich. Very
1: rich. And land speculators make it rich. There's a lot of land there for speculation. Sounds really great. We're going to develop all of it. And it's going to be. And once you've once you've gone that far,
0: people are going to stay, even if they don't find a ton of gold, even if they don't make their fortune. You've come all that way. Maybe you've made a little, or maybe you haven't, but you're like, well, I've already sunk enough money into coming out here. So people stay. So they look for land. They look for homesteads. They look for settlements. So there is, if you were smart enough to land speculate, or you were able to get in early and land speculate, that's where people were making millions and millions of And
1: dollars. I always wonder... How many people went out there and stayed because they didn't have a choice? Like they just lost money and didn't have any money to go back home. So, you know, they're forced to kind of hang out for a while. And a lot of people who make money, sort of your very rich swells are going to invest in railroads pretty early on. We're talking about like a guy named Leland Stanford for whom the railroad is or the university is named after. Like these are the, you know, these are going to be the guys who make a bunch of money, basically supplying a need. Uh, And that's sort of what makes the fortune, which I always find really ironic with the gold rush. The easy gold is basically found by 1850. So the initial gold strike lasts a year and a half. And the initial gold they're looking for is called placer gold, which is basically just gold that kind of hangs out in the river and you pan for it exactly what you're picturing in your head, panning for gold. And so by 1850, gold has gotten harder and harder to come by. This is when you're going to see another, like a big influx of like Chinese exclusion acts to sort of limit the claims that they can lay on the areas and the areas that they can mine
0: we're also going to charge excessively high taxes if you happen to be a foreign miner. So even if you make or if you discover and find gold, you're being taxed at rates that are 20 to 30 times what a white native-born American is being taxed on their gold. And so there's there's a huge sort of tax law that's passed as well that's going to specifically target non-American or non-non-white uh, miners.
1: Very much. And so the, most of the people who make money consequently are going to be white Americans. And then in the midst of all this, California sort of reapplies for statehood and the U S is like, just kidding. We really want you to be a state, please, please join the union now.
0: And let me just jump in and mention a man we have mentioned before, a man named Henry Clay. If you remember Henry Clay episode, there's a lot happening in the country as we get to 1850 at the same time as the gold rush. Um, Or as the gold rush is sort of uh, hitting the end of that first peak, but we are having a lot of problems back over in the East Coast and the Midwest, as we continue this fight over slavery over the slave trade over what to do with fugitive slaves, because hey guess what, a lot of those people want to go out West if you can escape slavery in Missouri. Texas, um, any of these sort of middle places, you're gonna maybe try your luck and go west. So there's lots of questions about what to do with fugitive slaves. And so there is something that is organized by Henry Clay basically to try to quell the violence around slavery to basically kick the can down 10 years. And that is the Compromise of 1850, which we talk about a little bit more in our Henry Clay podcast. But the statehood for California sort of hits at the perfect time this time around, as opposed to a few years earlier, because not only is there all this money and economic development and this opportunity for for wealth, which of course we want our states to produce money, that's what we want them to do, but there's also this sort of great way of saying, okay, we're trying to balance out how many slave states we're going to have, how many free states we're going to have. We're trying to balance out the country. And so we wrap California up in the Compromise of 1850.
1: Yes. And so California suddenly like becomes a very attractive place. They want us. We, yeah, we want California to be a state. They got gold there. Anywhere with gold. We want them to be a state. Yes, sir. And um, the... After 1850, gold mining turns largely industrial, sort of um, like it's a larger operation than like simply people just in a stream panning for gold. And so at that point, you're going to have a lot of business interests moving in and sort of taking over from there. And the gold rush does continue until about 1855, uh, but it's much more like large scale rather than individual people. Uh, And the sort of 49ers are kind of out of it at that point, uh, unless they've transitioned into, again, working for uh, one of these big, big conglomerates. But the idea, of the gold rush and the California dream really transforms our understanding of the West. And one historian who's super brilliant, uh, HW brands writes that basically the gold rush takes us from the Puritan ideal of like work every day and make your money to like easy riches.
0: It's the first get rich quick scheme that I think really takes hold in in the American imagination. Yes,
1: California has been that ever since. People have moved to California to seek their fortune basically ever since the gold rush. And the second gold rush in California, which starts immediately after the first, is a very different one. And it's an agricultural gold rush. They realized that California has lots of natural resources and great soil so that we can grow lots of things and ship them back east. And so not only do you have the people who moved out there to seek gold as sort of young men, they are going to buy plots of land and grow stuff. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on these railroad barons, these big railroad magnates to link the California, the state of California with the East coast. And so they're going to very quickly after that, start building lots of railroads and the civil war does slow this down somewhat, uh, but it is not an accident that within 25 years of the gold rush, we have linked the transcontinental railroad is linked up very fast because we want to transport all that stuff back east. We want people to come out west to grow things and make money, and then we want to ship goods back east. So it's a very quick, quick transition.
0: It's also not too surprising that within 25 years, we're going to now have large-scale mining companies that are going to be doing hydraulic mining, trying to do this much more environmentally impactful method of mining, Uh, and they're going to be very successful. They're going to extract hundreds of millions of dollars in gold. But when they're doing that in the 1860s and 1870s, they're going to start devastating some of that farmland. And it's going to have a major impact on many of those people who had invested in farmland in that first gold rush, because all of a sudden you're going to have the sediment and all this stuff from the mining running down and ruining crops. So it's interesting to me in California, too, because there's kind of this constant cycle of we're looking for gold, we're doing something else. Now we're looking for gold in a different way. Now we're doing something else. We're looking for gold, now we're doing something else. Now we're looking for gold, but it's Hollywood. Now we're doing something else. Now we're looking for gold and it's the tech boom. Um, There's always sort of another version of looking for gold in California.
1: And it also like is a huge boon to the economy too. The U.S. economy had a depression in the 1830s and then the economy really holds pretty steady between the gold rush and the Civil War. Like that's a lot of money, particularly in the North that's gonna keep the economy kind of humming really well up until the 1870s. So we don't really go through another major depression until 1873, uh, which is a long time to not go through some kind of economic panic. And a lot of that is the money coming from not only the gold, but also then the agriculture and the land development in California. Uh, So it's a big economic generator. It's a huge migration of people. One that has like the first sort of really great migration of Americans all the way across the country. Uh, They're going to settle California. California becomes a state very quickly. And uh, it sort of solidifies our claim, the United States claim on the West and uh, the idea that we're going to eventually, like, I feel like the, the gold rush is sort of the really solidification of the idea that eventually the U.S. is going to control the entire territory of the continent. Like that's the moment where, yep, we're going to go from sea to sea at some point, like we're going to get there. And it takes us a little while to get there. It takes us about 50 years, but eventually the U.S. does go from the East Coast all the way to California and everything in between. And uh, that's, I feel like, another unintended consequence of the gold rush, which is that just we're, it solidifies the U.S. control over the whole continent. And so little of gold rush San Francisco survives. They didn't build structures to last. Sutter's Mill, if you go up there now, it's a recreation. James Marshall's cabin is basically a recreation. Like they didn't build stuff to last because they didn't think that far ahead in the late 1840s and 1850s. They just wanted to build temporary structures and find gold. So there's not a lot of really sound structures. And when an earthquake happens in 1906, a lot of gold rush era San Francisco basically disappears with the, the earthquake. So there's not that much left. And that's one of the things when I gave tours out west, is there's a four block radius right down by the the um, financial district that is basically all that's left of this era of the city. So much of it has since go- has been destroyed.
0: Of course, we wouldn't have the San Francisco of today without it. Um... And uh, I will give a shout out to our Free Tours by Foot colleagues out in San Francisco. If you have a chance to go out there, they do offer tours. Brit is just incredible. We definitely recommend taking a walking tour, seeing the little bit that's left, but also sort of seeing how it helped to build San Francisco as you you know it today. Um, So we do have our wonderful tour colleagues out in San Francisco. So we'll give them a shout out if you're out in that area or you're going to be traveling through California this summer. Check them out. You can say you heard it on the podcast and now you want to see it live.
1: Story. (laughs) A lot of detail about the gold rush that we kind of brushed over because, you know, we only have so much time and it's a big topic. But there's a lot of stuff about the West that I find really interesting. And I'm hoping eventually we will do more of uh, sort of Western American history because it really is just such a fascinating motif not only in actual history but like our memory of it like the collective memory we have of the the settling of the west is really fascinating to talk about so that's the gold rush
0: <laughs> yeah i definitely there's a few uh kind of con artists and scammers i hope that we'll be able to do an episode on in the future but i want to thank you rebecca for suggesting this topic i think it's such an interesting one and it really Uh, I think is so illustrative of of kind of the American idea and like when we think about America, it's it's the West so often, and this is really what starts it, what sparks it. Um, I remember doing a seminar in college all about the American West and this is really where we began, Uh, because it's not the West existed, and there were people there and there were culture there and there was life there, but it's the gold rush that just changes the migration of the United States and really changes our concept of what the United States is going to be because now it's going to go from sea to shining sea. Well, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, our episode today as well. If you did, be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff on all our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at Tell and on Facebook and Instagram at All. Uh, you can always email us too if you wanna pitch the pod, ask questions or need anything at all, tourguidetellall at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, uh, if you're interested in being a patron, you're gonna wanna check out our Patreon page. Uh, we're gonna be wrapping up next week. Uh, we have done a lot of uh, events this month, but we are going to wrap up with an individual next week, a really incredible woman. Um, I I think going to be a fun episode because she has a site here in DC that has reopened. So it's exciting to be talking about things that people can actually go visit again. She ties into just about every major thing that happens in the 20th century. So I'm super excited. Yes,
1: that's going to be a really good one. And we've got a bunch of good stuff coming for May and I'm excited about it. So thanks everybody for listening.
0: Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm your host, Candan Arseniega. Dan King and I do the intros, the editing, the admin. Becca Grahl and Rebecca Fackner do the research and the talking. We are all guides for free tours by foot in Washington, D.C. This is Tour Guide Tell All. Until next time.